Hello, this is Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Tracy Zimmerman. She is the Executive Director of the North Carolina Early Childhood Foundation. Tracy, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Alex. So Tracy, um, let's start by having you just kind of give us a snapshot of where we are with early childhood education in North Carolina, kind of from like the state policy level. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because I actually think we're in the middle of a, or the beginning perhaps of a shift. So for a long time, we thought about early childhood, um, as did everyone from zero to five. And with all the research that's coming out, it's very clear that it's really birth to eight. That is a um, very distinct um, continuum and developmental period. And so we're seeing that shift start to happen in policy, right? So for example, during this last session, um, there was the creation, the General Assembly created the birth to third grade interagency council, recognizing that truly kids in those K through three years are much more similar to younger children than they are to fifth graders per se. So I think that's one big shift we're seeing is this recognition of, of birth to eight being something we need to pay specific um, attention to. The other piece is I think we're also in a place where we um, are no longer talking about um, are these early years important? Does it matter? Um, do we all have a role to play in it? I think we're much more in the space of what does that need to look like? Um, and so that's the other shift I see happening. And then lastly, I would say, um, because early learning, like many things took a hit um, during the recession, uh, not as big a hit as some other areas, but took a hit and we're just starting to kind of get back up there, what we are seeing is that a lot of communities, so municipalities and, and counties are looking at how did they think about expanding early learning investments so that they can ensure that their children um, are have every opportunity to fulfill their potential. And so, as you say, we've kind of gotten past the point of debating the importance of early childhood education. Everybody uh, kind of acknowledges that it's important. but. Let's just go back. Why is it so important? Sure. So, you know, the, the brain science on this is is really fascinating. So stop me because I could probably talk about it for a while. Um, and I was never a very good science student, so that says something. You know, what, what we have now come to learn is that children's earliest experiences are literally form how their brains are built. So the architecture of the brain is actually formed by every experience a child has. When, when a baby's born, the cells are there, but that wiring is not. And so their experiences are built into not only shaping their brains, but actually their body. We're also now seeing that like long-term health issues that you might see in an adult, a chronic heart issue, for example, may have had its roots in early childhood. That's how significant um, that time period is. And we also know from all of this research that you have to form, the way the brain works is you have to, learning happens sequentially and those connections happen sequentially. So you, that whole idea of like you pay more, you can either pay now or pay more later is literally because you're missing key windows of opportunity of when it's easiest to build strong connections. So I think the brain research is really fueling a lot of that. Um, then the other point is, is 
there's a focus on third grade reading, right? And part of that is because there's research showing that um, those third grade outcomes are the single greatest predictor of high school graduation and career success. And yet we know if we want to hit that milestone, the research is also shows that children need beginning from birth, health and development on track, um, they need support in supportive families and communities and high quality early learning environments. So, so in the most recent general assembly session, uh, we had some progress on the NC pre-K, which is kind of the statewide uh, pre-K program. And uh, early versions of the budget, we're looking to fully fund the waiting list for NC pre-K. What we ultimately got was less than that full funding. Um, let's talk a little bit about that and, and then we can talk about what that waiting list means and whether that really represents the full spectrum of need. Right. So um, we did have, I think, a very good start to thinking about, yes, NC pre-K is a vital part of this continuum and more children need access to it. Um, your point about what is the waiting list and what does that mean, I think it's really important to understand while this is a great start and certainly more children will be served, the waiting list is really a misnomer because counties are not required to keep one. Some keep them, some don't. They may have different parameters. Parents may or may not know about, um, may or may not choose to sign up depending on how long that list is. Um, so in no way does the waiting list reflect need or demand. Um, and I think there's some other key pieces that we're gonna have to really look at as we think about any expansion of NC pre-K, which is it takes more than funding a per slot, which is how it's done right now. In order to make NC pre-K work, there's actually a lot of other funding that goes into it. And it's a fairly fragile system. So for example, um, Smart Start Partnerships put a lot of their own Smart Start funding in NC pre-K to make that work. As an example, that could be uh, teachers in NC Pre-K are supposed to be paid on the teacher salary scale. So if they're in the school, they're paid at that rate. There were some changes made, which means if they're in a private childcare setting, they don't have to be paid on that scale. So you don't have parity there. So what some, for example, um, partnerships may do is say, we're going to fund that difference because it's important we have parity there or it's going to be harder to attract the highest quality teachers in private childcare settings. And so they do that. Then when we have great news that teacher salaries, for example, increase, that puts an, an extra burden on them who did not get an increase and NC pre-K dollars, which were not increased in that way, right? It's a per, it was sort of funded as a per slot to figure out, well, can we keep paying that. That's one example. It also could be that for parents to really access NC pre-K, which is 10 months and six hours, they actually need full daycare and they need um, those months in the summer. So there's a lot of other funding that makes NC pre-K work and those funding mechanisms have not seen increases. Is that something, are those extra, uh, the extra need for these different areas of funding, is that something that you think is on legislators' uh, radar, or do you think that they're more focused on this uh, kind of amount of money that you use for slots of NC pre-K? Right. I don't think it's on their radar, and I don't think that's any 
through any fault of their own. I don't think the story has been told very well. Um, they did recently, there was supposed to be a um, cost of NC pre-K study that um, HHS finished and, and did put out. And it's also true that the funding isn't supposed to cover, it wasn't, it was never intended to cover the whole amount, which a lot of people don't know. So I think it covers about 70% of the cost. Um, but I don't think that there's been a concerted effort to really help policymakers understand all the different funding sources that go in to make it work. It, it's a little complicated. It's not terribly complicated, but I think it needs to be, um, I think there needs to be, we need to make, show what that looks like um, and what makes NC Pre-K actually work. Okay, and then moving to your organization, tell me a little bit about what you all have been working on. You said you, you, you talked before the podcast that you had a lot of all-day meetings this week, and it sounds like you guys have a lot of exciting things in, in the works. So tell me about some of that. Sure. Um, we have a couple of things going on that we're very excited about. We have been engaging um, for the past almost two years in an effort called NC Pathways to Grade Level Reading, where we've been able to bring together various state and community leaders from education and health and um, family support from uh, both the government agency side and organizations and philanthropy and a broad spectrum of folks who don't usually have the opportunity to get together. And we've gone through a process where we started with, hey, would it be helpful if we actually had a set of shared measures that we all aligned around so that we could make um, large-scale progress because there's amazing things happening in this state um, and they benefit pockets of children but if we want to look at you know large-scale progress is is having a common set of measures a first step and we held up third grade reading as our um, top-line result because again in order to get there you really need whole child health and family and, and early learning so they said yes and we had a process that engaged lots of experts from across the state and we have this great measures framework now that um, folks in, have endorsed and are beginning to incorporate and has actually been mentioned and included in like the creation of the birth through three interagency council and other um, legislation the second phase of that work was saying okay if this is what we're measuring um, how are we doing and where should we act first because we can't do it all at once and we went through that process and now we're in this third phase that says okay what are we going to do so what are the um, policies and um, capacities and practices that we either need to change add or get rid of that will help us make progress here and we have a very in-depth process um, that I won't bore you with uh, th doing that and so these meetings have been um, really looking at that. And right now we're focused on really applying um, an exclusive, although not, I'm, I'm sorry, an explicit, although not exclusive uh, racial equity lens to that. So that's one piece. And then we're also doing work around the Every Student Succeeds Act, which has a lot of early learning um, opportunities within it. Almost every title of the act for the first time mentions birth to eight or early learning. And so we are going to be working with districts as they develop their district ESSA plan to help them think strategically um, about how birth to eight strategies will help them reach their goals. So it's interesting in listening to you talk about this. As I cover education, um, you know, there is talk about early childhood education, but it's just a piece and the overwhelming emphasis seems to be on all the other grades, right? 
And it sounds to me like what you're talking about and what you're thinking about is kind of a shift towards a little bit more emphasis on early childhood as, you know, being perhaps more important uh, than a focus on the later grades as a indicator of success in those later grades. Right. So I'm not going to say it's more important. I'm going to say you're not going to get to those indicators of success in later grades if you don't start with a focus on early learning. It's just, I mean, when kids start already two years behind in kindergarten, they could make, and most do, a year's worth of progress in every year and never catch up, right? So there's, we know too much to say, okay, we can start all of this when they enter formal, you know, formally enter school. Um, and in fact, there was recently a survey of superintendents from across the country that set, recognized how important early learning was uh, to their work and how under supported and invested they thought as a whole across the country um, the issue was. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't put them one against. I would say you only you you can't skip that part and get to success unless you're putting in way more money and it's a lot harder to do. Ask any teacher. So, but it, it does sound like we're starting to see a shift at least an emphasis on early childhood education. So where do you see that going in say like the next 10 years? How, how is our thinking about the need to allocate resources and uh, to think strategically about early childhood education going to be changing? That is a great question. So I am hopeful that we'll see some very significant changes in the next 10 years. One is that we start, when, when I say early childhood teacher, my guess is you and anyone listening is thinking of a childcare teacher. And the fact is an early, um, an early education teacher is anyone from birth really through third grade because as i said before those kids are learning um, in ways that are more similar to younger children than older children so i hope we'll have that shift and that we start thinking about how do we ensure that our teachers so if they're birth to five have the optimal skills and knowledge to support up child development so that we've really invested in that workforce both from an education and a compensation perspective and in the K through three years that we have really, um, uh, one, infused knowledge about child development, which is not part of most teacher prep, or it is in a very small way. And same with principal leadership. Most principals have at least a pre-K in their classroom and have very little background on how to support um, those teachers and, and what child development looks like. So I think, I hope the profession looks different, that we, we look at it as a zero to eight profession. I also hope that we're looking at um, that we have taken a step back to look at whole child and recognize that we can't ignore that I, we have a board member, Dr. Marion Earls, who always says you can't take the head away from the body so that we're recognizing that children come as whole people. Their health is important. Um, their family structure, all of that is important. And they live within families. And so that I think that particularly as we move to this birth to eight frame, we will see um, more and more um, authentic family engagement that can support children. And that's uh, kind of a trend in education generally is this understanding that education isn't something that just happens in the classroom um, and it extends to ideas about you know providing wraparound services to children that extend outside the classroom into the neighborhood. 
uh, and that kind of thing. And so, so you think that that is going to become uh, more of a kind of an ingrained understanding in education? I do, because I think that, you know, I think we've seen this trend, right? You've seen it across the country. I don't know how many states it is now that have third grade reading, um, legislation around third grade reading. And I think as we do, as we continue to work towards that, we're going to realize we can't get there unless we do those things. And so I think they will be natural strategies. And the fact that, again, going back to the Every Student Succeeds Act, that it's specifically talks about early learning and talks about things like home visiting. So there, some of the state plans have been incredibly thorough and thoughtful about what that looks like. And there are schools um, in different parts of the country, for example, if they're a restart school, they actually put all their Title I dollars in birth to five because they understand they, they, need, they need children coming in with all um, having been supported in the ways they need for optimal learning. All right, Tracy, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks, Alex. I've been talking with Tracy Zimmerman. She is the executive director of the North Carolina Early Childhood Foundation. And I'm Alex Granado, senior reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>